Join me in the book of Exodus as we continue our series, Jehovah Unveiled. We're in Exodus chapter 4 this morning. The Israelites have been enslaved for centuries. Moses has been in hiding for decades. And what has God been doing? On the surface, it really seems that the world is out of control in the book of Exodus. Do you ever feel like that? The world is out of control? That your situation at work is just bad and no signs of improving? Or your health is only going in a negative direction? Or perhaps your family situation? Whatever it may be. The pastor friend of mine who this week shared that his mom got saved after praying for her for 38 years. 38 years of praying, 38 years of sharing the gospel to seemingly deaf ears, 38 years of faithfully serving the Lord. 38 years of faithfully living out the gospel, being a testimony. 38 years of waiting for God to act. And he finally did. And here's the kicker. He didn't even get to lead his mom to the Lord. His mother-in-law did. Isn't that great? Waiting is not doing nothing Waiting for the Lord to act, waiting on the Lord, is worship. Trusting that God knows what He is doing. Trusting God to act in His time. Our theme verse lays out the the broad plan that God has for His people. Uh, Let's say it together. Exodus 6, 6 and 7. I will redeem you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. I can't read, can I? Because you were like, Pastor Chaz not saying the right words, so I'm going to stop. So let's start again. And I'll try to say the right words. You go ahead and overpower me and say the right words. Verse 6. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God has been working. God does have a plan, and that plan centers on himself. He is going to deliver the people. He's going to make it known that only he could have delivered the people. So the question is, will Moses and the Israelites trust God? You can read it. I mean, you know that they do. But that's the question at the moment. Will they trust God? Is Moses going to trust God and be the leader that God has designed him to be? In our text, Moses has been waiting for 40 years. 
He had thought that he could be helpful to his countrymen 40 years ago, and he was flat out rejected. So he fled to the wilderness. And what was God doing in those 40 years? It, it may have looked like nothing, but God was preparing him to lead. Moses had been waiting 40 years, but the descendants of Abraham have been waiting centuries. God promised Abraham the land that we know as the nation of Israel. God promised Abraham, your descendants are going to have this land. And how much of that land did Abraham actually own? He owned a burial plot, right? When his wife Sarah died, he paid for a burial plot for his beloved. That's the only land he ever owned. He lived in it as a nomad for many years. But as for actually possessing the land, that's it. Just a burial plot. Abraham's descendants, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's sons lived in the land but never possessed it. And then came the great famine. That famine that caused all of Abraham's descendants from Jacob, Jacob and his children to move to Egypt over time becoming slaves in the land. And now they've been in in Egypt for 430 years. They have been waiting, longing for God to keep his promise. They're waiting because God is waiting. God is exceptionally patient. We are not. God had been waiting for just the right time to raise up Moses as the leader of Israel. So last week, we finished up the whole uh, burning bush episode or saga or discourse, however you want to refer to it, um, where Moses ends up objecting to God's command. Remember, his objections started early in the conversation. They were kind of light objections. Just, Lord, who am, who am I to go and, and lead these people. They're not going to listen to me. Uh, and then culminated with his last objection was just, Lord, please send someone else. Now, today, we begin in verse 18. So if you have your Bibles open, join me in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18. Today, without any explanation between what we looked at last week, where Moses is objecting to God, and where we are this week, we see now this week Moses obeying rather than objecting. We're not given any more details as to what transpired in between time to get him to change his mind, but he did. So I invite you to follow along reading as I begin in verse 18 of Exodus chapter 4. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. 
If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom, bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he, with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Let's pray. Father, speak to us through your word today. Help us to apply what's going on here in our lives, though our lives seem worlds apart. So, Father, guide our hearts, our thoughts, guide my words. In your son's name I ask, amen. In verses 18 through 20, there's not a lot of action that happens, but much has happened in Moses' heart. Moses returns to his father-in-law, Jethro, and asks him permission to go to Egypt. He says, please let me go, go see my brothers. See if they're still alive. Jethro says, go in peace. Why does, why does Moses ask? Has Moses not been commanded by God Almighty, go to Egypt? Why does he ask Jethro? Did not God give him a direct order? Well, following the will of God does not mean abandoning the responsibilities that God has already given him. He is... Uh, employed by Jethro, his father-in-law. He has a familial connection as he has married Jethro's daughter and has children with his wife. And so Moses is doing right by Jethro by making arrangements to leave. And then in doing so, God then informs Moses, by the way, those who are seeking your life are dead. So God has asked Moses, has commanded Moses to go to Egypt, and he's now making the way. Jethro's not resisting. The people who were in Egypt who wanted Moses dead, they're dead. So he's fine. So Moses takes his wife and sons, verse 20. They head back to Egypt. And, and this little detail at the end of verse 20 uh, is not a throwaway line. It is important. Moses took the staff of God in his hand. That staff, that representation of authority is not just because he's a shepherd and he uses it to grab the wayward sheep. It's because that's the staff that God uses as a miracle. He's, that's the staff he used in uh, what we read last week. In throwing it on the ground, it became a serpent, picking it up again, and it becomes a staff. The staff becomes a very important symbol of God's power, a symbol of God's working in their lives as he goes. In verses 21 
through 23, we've, we've seen Moses is now submitting. He objected last week. He's now submitting to the will of God. In verses 21 and through 23, uh, we see that Pharaoh's firstborn will be threatened. So God has given Moses these signs to confirm that God indeed was doing the work. The sign of the staff, the sign of the leprous hand as he would put it in the coat and take it back out. The sign of the water turning to blood. These signs are going to cause the Israelites to believe. But these signs are going to have a different impact on Pharaoh. And, he, and God just tells him as much. Verse 21, when you go to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Same signs. Same message. But different responses. God's people are going to respond and Pharaoh is going to reject. That's how the gospel works today too. Some hear and immediately respond. Now I've probably only had that happen once that I'm aware of. Where someone hears the gospel the first time and they're like, yeah, I believe. Most of us don't respond that way. Others hear over and over and over again and never respond. And others take 38 years to respond. We are never held responsible for people's response to the gospel. We are held responsible for our faithfulness. Our faithfulness to live it. Our faithfulness to share it. God is the one who dictates the response. Moses will be held responsible. Not how Pharaoh responds or not how the people of Israel respond. He's going to be held responsible for how he responds. How he obeys the word that is given to him. And so God has told Moses that Pharaoh will reject. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. Many people get hung up on the fact that God says, I will harden his heart. And the reason we get hung up on that, on the who made Pharaoh stubborn, is because we like to think people are inherently good. It sure sounds nice, doesn't it? That down deep inside, there's a spark of good inside everyone. It sounds nice, but a lot of heresy does doesn't it? It sounds nice, but it's the opposite of what God has revealed to us in Scripture about how our hearts really work. God is not here forcing Pharaoh to be evil. Pharaoh is already evil. Did you catch that? God is not going to force... Remember, this is, this is still prophecy. We're not actually in Pharaoh's presence in our narrative. Uh, God is just flat out saying, Pharaoh is already evil. As we go through the storyline, Pharaoh is said to have hardened his own heart five times before we ever get to a mention of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Today's passage is still the prophecy. When we actually get to what's happening in Pharaoh's life, Pharaoh hardens his own heart five times. And by the way, this, this term hardening is not a term of emotion, but it's a, a term of determination, he is set against letting God's people go. 
all of us are born with the same capacity of evil as Pharaoh. I know that's shocking. It's true. We are all born with the same sin nature. By God's mercy, we don't all end up as evil tyrants. Praise the Lord. Doctrine of sin does not mean that all of us are as evil as we could be, but we all have the same capacity for evil. And God is simply using Pharaoh's own evil heart. He will use Pharaoh's own evil heart to do God's purposes. Verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. This is a message to Pharaoh, and it is not ambiguous, is it? It is not unclear. It is not something that you could say, well, I didn't quite understand what you were saying, God. You, sh- you need to forgive me because I didn't understand. No, this message is clear. God says, let my firstborn go or yours will die. Spoiler alert, Pharaoh's firstborn is going to die. And God's firstborn is going to still be sent out to worship. So in these verses, Pharaoh's firstborn is threatened. Verses 24 through 26, we see Moses' firstborn circumcised. Now these verses quite admittedly seem out of place. If you're just reading through through the text, um, it breaks the flow of the storyline. Uh, there's not much context. There's Actually, there's no context given. Uh, a lot, the context we have to uh, we have to assume based on what is actually said. It just seems like the whole storyline could have continued without these verses, but they're in Scripture. There's no disputing that they're in Scripture. This isn't one of those uh, textual issues that, well, there's a lot of uh, ancient scrolls that we found that don't have this, that, none of that. This is in Scripture, and it's here. So it's here for a reason, and let's figure it out. At a lodging place along the way, the Lord, Jehovah, met with Moses and sought to put Moses to death. Okay, back up in our last chapter and a half, God has been speaking to Moses through the burning bush, and Moses has been increasingly more obstinate. He has been increasingly more... uh, more of a person who objects. I was going to say objective, but that's not the right word. Uh, He is one who is actually going against God through that whole discourse. And God is responding in grace every time. When Moses says, I can't speak, it's like, you know what? Let's have Aaron go with you, right? He responds with a gracious response as we, we talked about last week. But now... Now Moses is being submissive. He's not being stubborn, as he appeared to be in our last few verses. He's being submissive, and he's going. He's asked Jethro for permission. Let me go, and and I'll go back to my family in Egypt, make sure they're all good. He doesn't give Jethro the the full reason that he's going, because maybe it would be a little too shocking for him. Oh, by the way, God spoke to me. I'm going now to Egypt to be the leader of Israel, okay? 
He goes while they're on the way. Now God meets him to kill him. Okay, so there's something going on that that isn't 100% clear in the passage. What's it take? It takes his wife circumcising his son that God relents, verse 26, so he let him alone. The rite of circumcision had been given to Abraham centuries ago, had been passed down through the generations, but Moses has married someone who is not an Israelite, and apparently Moses had not obeyed God's command to circumcise his son. That's the background that's not given clearly, but is evident that it has been going on, that he has not circumcised his son. So the question is, why now? Why didn't God put it in the heart of Moses earlier to be obedient with the the rite of circumcision? We don't even know how old Moses' sons are now. And to be clear, there are at least two, uh, because it's plural in saying that he takes his sons and his wife with him. So why now? Why is God concerned about this sin that has been an ongoing sin ever since the eighth day after his son has been born. Why now? See, God is preparing Moses to be the leader of Israel. If the leader is not obedient to the commands of God, how can he lead? We don't know exactly what went down. Apparently Moses was deathly ill and incapable of doing the circumcision himself. So his wife has to do it. And only very reluctantly does she do it. I think there's something for us here and it has nothing to do with circumcision. Just because God seems to let you get away with ongoing sin does not mean that he does not see or does not care. Right? Just because God seems to let you get away with ongoing sin does not mean that he does not see or that he does not care. So take a moment with that. Take a moment with that truth. What, what attitude or grudge or bitterness might you be holding on to? What habits of sin might you keep entertaining? That was grammatically terrible, but you know what I mean. What habits of sin do you keep on enjoying that no one else knows about except you and God? Just because God seems to let you get away with this ongoing sin does not mean that he does not know or that he does not care. He does. God may well be withholding some blessing or service opportunity from you because you are disobeying him. Moses has gone, we don't know how long, disobeying God with this ritual of circumcision. And now God is going to use him and he's going to make him obey what will it take for God to make you obey? The direct corollary to circumcision is believer's baptism. If you haven't been baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not right with God. 
just as Moses was not right with God. But, but the application of what go, what's going on here is really unlimited. The application of what's going on here is only limited by our own creativity to sin. And guess what? We're really creative at sinning, aren't we? Anything that God has commanded that you are not doing is rebellion. It's not an oversight. It's rebellion. Anything that God has forbidden that you are doing is rebellion. And although the rebellion of a believer will not undo your salvation, praise the Lord, right? Your rebellion does not negate your salvation, but it does stand in the way of you being the fruitful Christian that God wants you to be. And by the way, a fruitful Christian is a joyful Christian. A fruitful Christian is one who is at at peace with God. As Moses objected to being the leader of Israel, God showed grace, giving him signs, giving him Aaron. That was Moses' knee-jerk reaction. His knee-jerk reaction to God sending him to go be the leader of Israel was, uh, was a knee-jerk reaction of sin, right? And we do that sometimes, don't we? It's not planned. It's not a, a habit of sin. It's just in the moment we sin. And when in the moment Moses sinned, God showed him grace. Sometimes we also have that knee-jerk reaction of sin. It's wrong. It's sin. That's why I'm going to call it sin. But our sinful reaction is not the same as our repetitive, ongoing sin. And Moses' repetitive, ongoing sin was that of not having his sons circumcised. God will purge you of your ongoing sin before he will bring about the blessings that he has planned for you. He is going to purge you of your ongoing sin, and then he will bless you. Now, don't take that to mean that I have any specific blessing in mind. That blessing um, might be what everyone looking at you might say is a blessing, and it might not be, and here's what I mean. I'm not saying that your bank account's going to get full if you'll confess sin. Okay. I'm not saying that you're going to be relieved of all your health issues if you set that sin aside, confess your sin, and move on. But I'm saying that God has blessings planned that he will shower on you when you resist sin. Moses finally submits in this area that has been an ongoing area of sin for him. The passage continues. Moses has submitted to God. uh, Pharaoh's firstborn son is threatened. Moses has had his life threatened and has now circumcised his firstborn. Though very little happened in the first verses, a lot happens in the last few, so let's break that down together. Verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, Aaron, not Moses, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. If you need to meet up with a family member today, it's not that tricky. You call, you text ahead. Uh, If you've got the the right phones, you can share your GPS location so they know exactly where you are in the moment. A meetup is not difficult for us. Man, what a burden in that day. 
But when God is on the move, he makes all the details work together, all of them. God tells Moses, who is in Midian, go meet Aaron. And he tells Aaron, here, go meet Moses. They didn't have communication capabilities, and God has organized that they're going to be able to make this work together, and they do meet up. When God is on the move, he makes all the details work together, all of them. The inverse is true as well. When God has a different plan in mind for you than what you have for yourself, you will find it very hard, even impossible, to do what you are trying to do. Even if it's a godly goal. When God's in it, nothing's going to stop it. Even Moses' ongoing repetitive habitual sin, God made sure he took care of that. That was one of the details that had to be taken care of. God made sure that Moses took care of it. But when you have a different plan in mind for yourself than what God has for you, you're going to, as, as the Lord said to Paul on the road to Damascus, you're going to feel like you're kicking against the goads. Those sharp spears that keep those thorns that keep going into your foot, making it really hard to kick. A friend of mine wanted to be a missionary in Israel to the Palestinians. Now put your, wrap your mind around that. Not the Jewish people, not the Hebrew people, the Palestinians in Israel. He wanted to be a missionary to them. He had visited a number of times. Uh, he had developed a relationship with a pastor there so that he had someone to work with uh, so that you know, uh, immigration is not going to let you in if you don't have a place to go. Right, that kind of thing. And so he had everything worked out. He had the support from churches. He had verifiable income so that immigration would let him in. And yet after only a few months, his visa was revoked and he hasn't been back. And that was like 10, 12 years ago. He had a good mission idea in his head. He had a good plan. And the Lord seemed to be working in it until he wasn't. When God is in it, you can't stop it. And when God isn't, even if it seems like it's a good thing, it's not going to happen. Moses and Aaron, God was in it, so they meet. Moses tells everything that God had told him, and Aaron then speaks to the people and performs the sign. So just as God earlier said that, uh, that you are going to be like God to Aaron, and Aaron will be your prophet, uh, that's exactly what's happening. And by being God, God is not telling Moses that you're going to be all-powerful, all-knowing. It's just that it, the role that they're playing is that Moses is the one who has the information from God, gives it to Aaron, and Aaron does it. And what's the response? Verse 31, And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, remember, when God says he has seen the affliction, it doesn't mean that he just knows. He knows and he's planning. He knows what he's going to do about it. God had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads and they worshipped. They believed and they worshipped. Surrender to God is the path to blessings from God. That's what we see in this passage. Being surrendered to God 
is the path to receiving blessings from God. Moses is being blessed left and right in this chapter. I don't know if you caught that. His fears that, uh, that it's not going to work, that he's not going to be able to speak, his fears that he's not going to be uh, accepted by the Israelites, that they're going to reject him, all that has been allayed. God is blessing him left and right by having him meet up with Aaron. And then when and Aaron didn't have to respond favorably, did he? Oh yeah, sure, God talked to you. And Aaron responds in faith. And Aaron then goes and shares the message with the elders of Israel, and they respond in faith. Moses is surrendering to God piece by piece. Not all at once. Piece by piece. His first surrender was simply getting up and leaving as God had commanded his second surrender in this passage is when he, uh, in this, this obscure passage about circumcision. And that really is God's behavior. The longer you're a believer, the more he's going to reveal to you ways that you still need to surrender, ways that I still need to surrender. Paul put it this way in Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice one offered to god though you're still alive meaning that offering has to be continuous ongoing being holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship my question for you this morning is how is god calling you to surrender to him today whatever that is Commit that to the Lord. Do it, just do it right now. Spend some time in prayer. Maybe the Lord is really working in your heart and you need to just step out and get some time alone. Go, just go find an empty room. There's plenty of them. Because submitting to the Lord right now is more important than staying so that we can celebrate the Lord's table together. Right? What does scripture say? To obey is better than to sacrifice. Your personal submission to God is more important than obeying this table ordinance that God has given us. So what's keeping you from obeying? What was keeping Moses from obeying? We're not, we're not given specifics. It could have been that his wife was just grossed out by the procedure and they didn't want to do it. It could have been that Moses just wanted to live out the phrase, happy wife, happy life. Right? Is that a good excuse? No. No, obeying God is better than family peace. What's keeping you from obeying? Is it callousness to the word of God? Could be. Or pride. Or flat out rebellion. Whatever it is, surrender to him today. 